Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. This is exciting. We have today Anjali Kumar, who is the founder of Slightly Reserved. Anjali and I actually go way back, not so, so back, but back. She actually was a part of the Justice Department for a small period of time until she discovered that she no longer liked to practice law. And we will hear all about (laughs) what she's doing now, what Slightly Reserved is. And welcome, Anjali. Thanks, JJ. It's so good to see you and hear your voice and all the things. I know. See, even though we were like two blocks away from each other right now. (laughs) I know. The pandemic has other plans. I know. Damn COVID. I know. I know. I know. Um, So... Anjali, tell us, you're you're like a renaissance woman because you do a lot of different things and you've had a lot of different career paths. And I would love for you to talk about how you started your career, what you're doing now, and then your pivots and why and how you thought of them, because so many people get stuck in what they're doing and think, okay, this is the only thing I know how to do. And also that's internal and externally as women, we're always put in pigeonholed into things that we have done, right? Like there's all this evidence that like men get hired on potential women on experience and like how we get around those things. So let's first talk about Slightly Reserved, what that is and what you're doing. Sure. So, well, Slightly Reserved is really just an umbrella for all the projects that I'm doing. So as you said, I'm doing a lot of different things. And before when I would have to say what I was doing, I felt like I had to list them all out. And now instead the shorthand is just like, oh, I have this company, it's called Slightly Reserved. And then all of my nonsense can kind of go under that one umbrella. And so it feels like it's contained in one nice, neat package. Um, But it's still a little bit of everything, a little scattered, but to me, it makes sense in terms of the the kind of common thread is it's stuff that I'm interested in. So I advise a bunch of companies. I would say kind of half are tech or meaningfully tech enabled with the focus on fintech. And then the other half are really D2C brands and brands that I love. So I've been joking that it's sort of things that make women feel good. It's just, you know, everything from CBD and cannabis to spirits brands. You're definitely seeing a theme there to, um, you know, beauty and wellness companies that I really like. So it's kind of a nice mix of products and services. Um, aimed largely at women, but people identifying as women or people who love women, all those things. Um, so that's the main part of what I'm doing. And they're all really early stage startups, kind of seed to pre-series A seems to be the sweet spot. What do you mean by advising for people who don't understand what that means or you know, have you, uh, companies that don't have advisory boards? Like, What does that exactly mean to them? You know, what, what do you do on a basis? Yeah, it's really kind of CEO whispering because it's so early stage. It's really depending on the founder and it's really become like where I'm a buddy to the founder and somebody that they can call with whatever is going on. Um, so similar to what you started at the Justice Department or what we'd started you know, back in the day and the early sort of idea around that of just advising 
companies that we believed in and that we felt didn't have access to people like us until much later stage. Um, but I found that getting in earlier was a really fun place for me to be because as an operator, I was always being brought in much later in the company's history, more around the series B or C when they could afford to hire someone like me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the earlier stage, I'm able to you know, help prevent mistakes or help them think about things differently or think about partnerships or you know, introduce them to people that they might not otherwise have access to just because of the roles that I've had in the past prior to this. Right. Um, so it's a real mixed bag. You know, it's everything under the sun and it's just being a thought partner, a friend, you know, <laughs> like someone just to talk to. But importantly, in many cases where I'm not an investor. So I feel like people can be really raw and vulnerable with me in a way that maybe they wouldn't be if I had put a bunch of money into the company. Right. That's true. All right. So how did you get to the point where you would people would want to hire you? What tell us a little bit about your past and then we'll get more into what Slightly Reserved does on top of that. Sure. So I, you know, had a bunch of different roles over the past 20-some years of my career, uh, largely as a lawyer. So I a practicing attorney. I mean, even though I practice very little right now, but I do I still have my law degree. Um, so I've been practicing for over 20 years. I started at a big white shoe law firm, you know, New York-based law firm, but out of the London office called Sherman and Sterling many years ago. Um, so I worked in the London office, Paris office, New York office with Sherman. And then post 9-11 had a bit of an epiphany that I didn't want to do that anymore. And I really wanted to save the world. So to me, that looked like at the time going to Robin Hood Foundation. And so I went in-house to Robin Hood, not in a legal role, but more in an advisory role to grant recipients. And then from that, went on to Acumen, another nonprofit as the general counsel. And then from there, I was recruited to Google. And so I spent a number of years at Google as an attorney working on basically anything that made Google money in North America. So everything from ads and ads technology was the big part of my practice. But I worked on the YouTube integration. I worked on... um, mobile ads on data related stuff. I worked on the ill-fated Google Glass project at the end of my tenure. Um, So I had quite a range of things that I was exposed to during my six years there. And then from there was recruited to be the general counsel and head of social innovation at Warby Parker, uh, which just went public a few months ago. And then um, spent a few years there in those roles and really built you know, that company with the founding team to, you know, it's a pretty, pretty steep inflection point. So that was a really exciting ride to be part of. And then I took a year off to write a book and then went back into full-time work in um, a GC and chief people officer role at Cheddar, which was later acquired by Altice. And then left that to co-found the Justice Department with you in early days, and then left that to kind of hand the reins back over to you so you could take it to your full vision, which is so fun to watch. And then, you know, kind of do the stuff on my own. So I was advising a lot of tech companies, um, a lot of, you know, smaller startups earlier stage. And I found that I really liked playing in that space, as you said, sort of more than the legal space, but still doing a few legal work, like small legal clients too. Right. So that is like, there's so many pivots in there and there's so many different, like, I mean, I guess legal is part of a lot of those threads. I mean, you go in and out of it. Right. But so many people think that when they start a career, that it has to be kind of linear or like once you start a specialty. And I used to think that having not 
had any kind of mentors in my life or anybody who had gone to college that it was just like, I need to figure out by the time I was like 17, 18, what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And that's just not true. You know, you have so many things and twists and turns that can happen. And maybe there's a specialty or a certain hard skills that you learn, but like, what was like in your mind or you telling yourself when you were doing this, that was like, oh, I can quit this job and go do another thing. Like what helped you to understand and navigate through these different kinds of roles? Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is I always had the next thing lined up. So it's not like I was just throwing caution to the wind and being like, I'll figure it out on the fly. Like I was pretty conservative. I mean, I'm a lawyer by training. I'm risk averse by nature to an extent. But I think when you think of the average lawyer, perhaps I'm more risk taking. Um, And I do think that was a muscle that I developed over time because I realized, you know, I think 9-11 really put it in perspective because I was a young lawyer at the time. It was so new and the world was turned upside down as far as I was concerned, right? I was probably a fourth year associate when that happened and everything just completely changed in the city. I was living a couple of blocks in the World Trade Center. I saw the whole thing happen. And I think I just realized that not, you know, like everything had turned around so quickly. What am I waiting for? So that became a big driving kind of thing for me. Right. So well, passion and purpose, which I yeah. find women like that's when they really start thriving in their careers yeah. is when they have that passion and purpose yeah, behind what they're doing. For sure. The luxury for sure. of that, right? Yeah. I mean, a huge luxury. And I, I certainly acknowledge that like having, you know, a dual income household certainly makes it a lot easier to take some of those risks. But I think for me, they were always pretty calculated risks and they weren't, it wasn't like me going to four guys in a garage at a startup with like no income or anything. I was always at a pretty, when I went to startups, they were well-funded by the time I joined because I was joining as a general counsel or a C-level employee. So they had the money to pay me by that point. So it wasn't as risky as it might seem. I think I just wasn't scared of closing the door behind me of whatever I was leaving. So I was willing to kind of walk through it and say, okay, like leaving the law firm, for example, okay, that turn, you know, that closes off the door of becoming a partner at that law firm. But I was really comfortable with that decision. You know, like yeah. I wasn't like on yeah. the path to becoming a partner at the law firm. I don't think. Right. And I I wasn't, that wasn't my goal. So I was comfortable with what I was closing and willing to kind of walk into the unknown of going to a nonprofit or what have you. What about like the skill set? You know, it was like not thinking women also thinking that they didn't know 130% about a job versus like, you know, it's not not like, you know, you were Google, we all know Google because we use their mail and, you know, the search engine and, you know, docs, but that doesn't mean, you know, glasses like Warby Parker, like how, you know, what, like that transition, you know, what did you, what made you like know that you could do that job? Well, I think it was that I realized that nobody else really knew what they were doing either. So yeah. when I went to- That's know, the like, key. And that's what I want so many women to understand. Like, yeah. like nobody knows. Like when people used to say to me, like, you've never been a president before when I wanted a president job. I was like, neither was Obama. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. I heard this great interview that a friend did um, with a gossip columnist, and I'm going to mess up his name. I think Rob Shooter is his name. And he tells a story of- that he keeps his Bible on his coffee table and it's the Sarah Palin biography. (laughs) And he says that whenever he's doubting himself, he puts his hand on his Bible, the Sarah Palin biography. And he says, if Sarah Palin had the audacity and the confidence (laughs) to run for the second highest office in the land, I can get onto entertainment tonight and spend three minutes talking about Kim Kardashian's bottom, you know, (laughs) with confidence. 
Oh I know Rob Shooter. I was, I don't, I don't know him. I just heard him on a friend's podcast and I was dying. And I was like, I need to get a copy of that book or whatever my equivalent is of like, if Sarah Palin has that confidence, why am I worried about being the general counsel of an eyeglass startup? Like I can handle this, you know, yes. it's like, the, it's a bit of that. Yeah. So get yourself a Sarah Palin book. It'll drive up her number. Oh God, that's such a great like gift, right? Right. Like, we're, we're all going to confidence. Here you go. Unfortunately, exactly. it's a woman. Let's think of an example that's a we'll man, but yes. Yeah. Yes. We'll think of somebody else that I, there's plenty there. I mean, Ross Perot, like what was the beleaguered self-confidence that became that presidential campaign? There's plenty of examples, yes. um, but just the idea of that was so funny to me. And I, I think that sort of thing has been a driving force. And I'm like, everyone else doesn't know what they're doing either. When I was at Google, it was early days still, and nobody knew what they were doing. Like we were all like the people were kind of making stuff up as it as they went and everything was so new, right? Like YouTube didn't exist when I joined and a year later, it was the biggest content creation platform in the world. Like it suddenly became this massive, massive thing. So what did they know that I didn't know I could figure it out? Now, obviously some of those things are different and people have deep expertise, but I think it just made me realize if I know a bit and I can kind of anchor myself in something that um, is rooted, I'm not like completely making it up um, that I'm, I'll be fine. But it's also, you know, being okay with making mistakes, you know, and not being perfect, yeah, which is another complex, you know, a lot of us have. And so my daughter is just like that. Like she needs to be perfect. And I'm like, how do I let her know where old Jack is just like, whatever, you know (laughs) what I mean? And it's like, how do we teach, you know, girls and women? Like you don't have to be perfect. It's okay. You know? Yeah. I mean, Rashma Sajani wrote a whole book about it. I think you're right. It's such yeah. a muscle that people have to work. And yeah. I think we really have to unlearn that pressure. Yeah. Um, I luckily did not feel that pressure so much clearly by some of the decisions I've made and some of the wrong turns I've taken. But yeah, I mean, that you feel embarrassed or, you know, like people are watching you or saying something and then you just kind of realize like, honestly, nobody kids shit. Like nobody's yeah. waiting for you to fuck up. Nobody's waiting for you to mess up. And like, everybody's busy with their own stuff. Nobody's sitting and paying attention to what you're doing or not doing that much. And like, you can figure it out right. as long as you try. I mean, it's, you know, if you're different, if you're not putting effort in. Well, yeah, of course you have to put that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> ish, like, ish. yeah. <laughs> um, you're already probably doing more than men in, in your day anyway. So let's <laughs> be real. All right. So, so you, you went to Warby Parker, you, you know, yeah, and then you end up in just forming all this and you, and cheddar and you, you know, got to slightly reserved. So what else are you doing there? You're advising companies. Yeah. And so I would say the majority of my time is spent advising, you know, a dozen companies and in, in various iterations and various stages of what they're mm-hmm. dealing with. But again, pretty early stage. And um, so a lot of my time is just spent talking to founders and founding teams and then um, doing some limited legal work, as I mentioned, um, for just folks that I can't say no to. So folks like the Me Too movement as a client, like if Tawana yeah. Burke wants me to read her contracts, like I will do that. She's of doing course. God's work. I am happy yes. <laughs> to read her marketing agreements. Like it's fine. Um, so I will I will pull out my legal pen and sharpen it, you know, for that, for sharpen my pencil for that kind of thing. And then the other stuff I'm doing is a lot of creative or you know, sort of hopefully creative stuff. So I wrote a book, which you know about, obviously, Stalking God, My Unorthodox Search for Something to Believe in, which came out four years ago. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like in January. Yeah. So now it's Yeah, exactly. Four years ago. Um, And did a TED Talk about it. And there's been some television development opportunities coming out of that. But um, you know better than me that 
uh, life cycle, that development cycle is on its own time-space continuum that's not (laughs) rooted in anything I'm used to in the startup world, uh, where you have an idea on Monday and you execute on Friday or you kill the idea. And that is not my experience in developing this content, but it's been really fun just to think about what it looks like. And growing that. But yeah, also you yeah. do a lot of investing and in angel investing and helping yes. women in that. So can we talk about that? I mean, I think that that's an area that so many people want to know more about and understanding how you evaluate who you and who, like what kinds of things you invest in, what do you look at and what that really means to the founders? Yeah. Well, there, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think the reason I started doing it was because I was finding that I was so close to so many deals that I ended up making all the guys a ton of money. I mean, you know the story. It's a story as old as time, JJ. <laughs> you know yeah. this as well as I do. And and it was starting to piss me off because I was like, yeah. are you serious? Like I I was in that room too with you know the Uber founders and I met him. And why didn't anyone ask me to put in $25,000? That would have been worth billions by now. Um, and it just never occurred to me that that was even an opportunity. I didn't know that everybody else was doing it. You know, I had no idea. And so once those opportunities started coming to me a little bit more, obviously, I think that really when I was at Warby is when I started hearing more about that. And to their credit, Neil and Dave, the co-founders, were definitely letting me know when they heard about little things. They'd be like, hey, you might be interested in this deal. And, you know, we're putting a little money in it. Like they weren't representing, you know, the founders, but that they would have access to things just because they were founders and they were pretty plugged in. And so that's when I started kind of working that muscle and getting in, like getting the confidence to put the money out and like be like, okay, this is sort of legalized gambling. Like I can try this. And the first couple of deals went well. So from that, you know, more opportunities come to you because then you seem like you're really smart and you really know what you're doing if you get a couple of lucky bets here and there. Um, and so that's that's how I've been thinking about it. But as I've started spending more of my time as my investment. I've started really holding back my financial investments to the founders that I think really need me on their cap table, whatever that might look like. So mostly that ends up being women, women of color, you know, just like where my name would actually be meaningful. So that's probably most of where I'm putting my money. And then there's a handful of folks I'm kind of like, "Eh, I think they might hit it pretty big. I wouldn't mind putting a little bit there. Right. And you know what? everyone needs to understand is you don't necessarily need to have a ton of money to do it. Right. Yeah. Like you, I just saw something where you were putting together an SPV. Yes. Yeah. This is my first one. Yeah. Can you talk about that? I mean, so look, that's great. Look, you've had all this experience and you're just doing an SPV and you've invested many. So can we talk a little bit about that? Like what is an SPV? I like to get down to like you know, I think vernacular is something that's really intimidating to women. You know my story about dry powder. Many, <laughs> now, everyone who listens to the, this podcast knows the story about dry powder, how I didn't know what it meant. And it was like, when I found out what it meant, I was like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. It's so <laughs> stupid to have even these terms, but like, what's an SPV? What does it do? And how does it like help when you want to put in smaller amounts of money, all of them? So it's exactly for that purpose. You know, so this is my first time doing it. There's definitely people who are far more uh, fluent in the vocabulary and and sort of the the mechanics of SPVs. So take this with a grain of salt, and definitely, listener, you know, do your own research and, and find people who know more. SPV stands for Special Purpose Vehicle. Correct. That's yeah. 
as far as I know. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm just letting everybody yeah. know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, wait, am I wrong? Um, so, you know, basically me and another woman, Arjuna, are co-leading an SPV for a company that we're really excited about um, called West by East. And they are custom bridal for the South Asian market. So we both happen to be of South Asian descent. It's a problem that we can see serving millions and millions of customers um, because it's something that we both experienced when we got married, you know, whenever however long ago. Um, so it was a really interesting company that solved a unique problem from our perspectives. And so when we were thinking about the kind of folks that might be interested in investing, they were sort of the bigger folks, you know, or the more seasoned angel investors who might be um, more willing to put in a bigger check. But there are a lot of folks who might be customers of a company like that, who by for whom this might be their first investment, it would be a really great one to do because they understand the problem. Um, so I'm thinking of, in particular, South Asian women. And so we decided to put together an SPV where we'll raise up to a certain amount for their overall raise. And people can put in smaller checks of 5,000, 10,000, you know, 1,500, whatever they want to put in. There's fees associated with it that the um, fund manager will, will take out of, not just us, but it's really a company that kind of does all the logistics and back end for us. Um, so there's fees associated with that, but it's a great way to, again, sort of work the muscle of investing. And it's hopefully a, an easy one for for some folks that might otherwise have never invested, but because they understand the business and they understand the problem that's being solved, I think it's a really good one for folks to start with for that particular customer. So that's how I'm kind of thinking of SBVs personally of when I might consider leading one. And what's the company? You got to plug it. Yeah, it's called West by East. What do they do? Really great. They're South Asian bridal, but custom made to measure. And they're with the influx of this capital and um, doing some tech builds and like smart factories and stuff, they'll be able to get the turnaround down to a week. So what they somebody? How do you do it? Like with your phone or something? You do your yeah. So you do the measurements. Yep, you do the measurements on your phone. Um, you do a style consultation with one of your designers. You custom design whatever it is that you want for whether it's your wedding outfit, for your bridal party, for your mom, for your sister, you know, whoever's coming to the wedding because in South Asian culture, um, often it's not just the bride. So first of all, weddings are really a big deal in our culture. Uh, there's multiple events. So you're not just getting one outfit for the bride. It's like usually a, a couple and then it's the entire bridal party. So it's the groom it's or the other bride or whoever, you know, it's whoever the person's marrying. And then it's the family members. It's, you know, a lot of other people for multiple events. So one bride is potentially, you know, 25 outfits. Like wow. it's crazy. Right. Yeah. It's a bit and so they have this technology as well, which is like. Yeah. So they're making everything in India, but yeah. they're trying to pull out some of the pain points um, through tech. Yeah. So what's, what are some other kinds of, in, um, what are some other um, companies that you're invested in now or advising that you can talk about, you know, promote here that are interesting to you that you see that, you know, people should know about, et cetera. Yeah, well, there's a great one I'm excited about out of India that's pretty early stage called Just Bop. And it's sort of, it's not really Clubhouse because it's more mass than Clubhouse. It's more, they're doing something that they're calling audio shots. And, you know, for a, such a large population, it's a way to actually, what, what I think is interesting is that they potentially are creating an incredible audio library of local languages because there are so many languages and dialects spoken in, in India 
um, but if you can capture some of that for AI purposes and actually create other tech based on that, I think it's super interesting. But it's really just a way for people to interact through these kind of short audio clips. That they, like if you said something and I wanted to respond to that, that I do that via audio versus like a comment on the thread. So they're oh. pretty early stage and doing some cool stuff. Um, but it aimed at the Indian market. Um, who else am I excited about? There's so many. I'm really excited about all of them. Oh, there's a company called Kin, co-founded by Jen Bachelor and Bella Hadid. And it's a beverage company, you know, kind of adaptogens and all that kind of good stuff, brain health and yummy stuff too, but an alcohol alternative. I'm pretty, oh, pretty yeah. that. I know of this one as well. Yeah, yes. Kin Euphorics. It's called Can Euphorics, yeah, yeah, yeah amazing, them. and it's out, and right? So yeah, 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 yeah. They've been out for a few years. Amazing. And then, so when you decide to do these investments, and you're like, what kinds of things are you looking at? It's mostly the founder. I mean, yeah. it's really well. It's I would flip that. It's actually the idea first, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. It intrigues me, but then it's really all about the founder because the idea will pivot. The idea will change. And I really want to take a bet on the founder and see if they can like follow through on it or like, what are the, what are the like qualities that you're looking for? Um, I think somebody who's actually really, really excited about the idea that they're not like a solution in search of a problem, that they're really creating something that's meaningful and that has a real purpose, not necessarily in the big grand purpose way, but like that there's a reason that this tech or product needs to exist. And then it's, filling a need that's really there. Right. Um, that's the biggest thing. And that they're the one to do it. You know, that there's something interesting about that founder um, to their background, to, you know, their passion around that problem, that they're really going to kind of focus on it and get it done. And now just kind of move on to something else in a couple of years. That basically huh. that they're not like me. I want somebody who was not you know, like, I moved from stuff, from things to things. Well. I want somebody who's like eyes on the prize and wants to see this all the way through. Right. That's not going to like waver from it. Hilarious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, then that might not have been you had you right. had founded a certain company, right? You never know. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Well, didn't you just do some spices or something? Didn't you do some? Oh, that was just for fun for charity. Yeah. I did a collaboration with uh, Spicewalla out of Asheville, North Carolina. We It was actually just a fun project that was born out of the pandemic. Sazia. So my now almost 12 year old and I obviously like everybody else were cooking a ton and she and I had come up with this spice blend that we kept putting on everything. And it was a combination of everything, bagel seasoning, um, chopped masala, which is like a tangy savory spice used a lot in Indian food um, and Kashmiri chili, like a, a hot chili and some salt and some other stuff. And because I just kept putting it on stuff when I was talking to the team at Spice Well, they're like, oh, we can make this for you into a thing. So it just became a joke. So I made all these little tins that we called Anjali's Everything Good. And I was going to send it out as like client gifts and that kind of thing. And just like as a funny little gift to family and friends. And I posted it on Instagram and then people started DMing me being like, can I buy it? I was like, well, no, but I actually had like 50 tins of them in my basement because I had to order a minimum quantity. Yeah. And so little Zia is like going to the post office and like you know, nailing these out. And people were like Venmoing me five bucks. I was like, please donate it to charity. Like, don't give me money, but just, you know, sending out the tins so that they weren't like collecting dust in the basement. Um, but it sort of took on a life of its own. So then I developed a cocktail salt and we did both of those in collaboration with Spicewalla for a charity. 
It's all the Wait, proceeds. Did you know the Spice Wall of People? Or you were like just reached out? No, I just, I reached out. I was actually trying to source things for a holiday gift. And so I wanted to get like small batch spices from them. And initially I was just going to put together a little kit of theirs. And as we were talking, they're like, you know, we could do, we should do a custom blend together. I was like, we, what? Like you would do that. And they're like, yeah, that'd be so fun to do with you. And that's how it started. So I did the custom blend instead of the little three pack I was going to send out to people. And then it turned into this, but yeah, no, I'm not starting a spice company. Nobody has to worry, (laughs) but I do like doing it. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I might come up with, I have a third idea in the works. So we'll see. Amazing. All right. So we've gone over pivots. We've gone over you advising. We've gone over you investing. We've gone over you making spices, a TED talk. I was very right. We are a Renaissance woman. Um, So there's a lot going on and of your advising companies, are those the ones that you were just talking about or are they? You know, um, um, they're a mix. I'm a, I think all the ones I mentioned, I'm an advisor to okay. all of those three. And then there's a handful of folks like Pomp and Whimsy, just Gin Brand that I've invested gin in. Gin Brand, Female yeah. Gin Brand. Female Gin Brand. Um, Branding. A wine company. Unfortunately. Yeah. It's lovely. If you were going to try, that's a good one to try. Um, Unfem, it's a wine company. Yeah. Gen Yeah, yep. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so a few folks like that. But yeah, I would say I mean, there's like a nice mix. There's a longer list. Yeah. You invest in um, what you imbibe in and then uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then I advise tech companies. You know, I can't adjust it's like it. what I tell I'm teaching my kids how to like do this. They have that green light card and they have an investing account. And I was like, okay, the, what do you use all the time? Okay. What do you, you know, invest in that. And then recently Netflix, you know, just like completely like the stock went way down and Jack's like, what's going on with Netflix? And I'm like, you're eight. Okay. <laughs> like I'm I losing money. I was like, it's $3. Okay. Like, <laughs> it's so smart to teach them though. You're so smart. Well, I don't know how good I am at teaching them, but it gives them like, you know, abilities. So yeah. anyway, you know, they're dabbling in all of it. And it's like way more than I knew five years ago. They know. I mean, Nico's going to have her own NFT soon if she doesn't already. I'm I already tried to talk to her about it. She's- yeah. All her artwork. I, I feel like that's NFT ready. <laughs> yeah, it's a big commitment though. <laughs> a big commitment. Um, amazing. So thank you for all of this. It's been amazing. There is one question I ask every single person though, before I let them go on with their day. And that is, and I know women always have a lot of answers to this. What's the worst advice you've ever received? Oh, that's a good question. The worst advice I've ever received you know, I, this might be a weird answer, but it would be to follow your passion. And I think that's because I spent so much time early in my career being really stressed that I didn't have a passion and I didn't know what it was. And so I felt like I wasn't doing enough. Um, and so I was kind of like waffling and feeling like, you know, inadequate that I wasn't accomplishing the same things that as those people who had their singular passion and just followed it to the exclusion of everything else. And then uh, so I think that was bad advice for me personally. I think if you have a passion and you can follow it and make it your purpose and make a bunch of money at it, that's amazing. But that it's also okay if you're a little bit late to find it. Oh yeah, or if you're still searching. So well, and yeah. and it could change, right? Like, yeah. and it can change for different reasons. Like, what I cared about pre kids versus after having kids is totally different. Yeah, I'm sure. Like pre kids, my passion was like Gucci, Lanvin, and Alaya. You know, 
then afterwards I was like, yeah, maybe I can save the planet a little bit more and maybe I could like, you know, make sure there's no pay gap, you know, so Nico has the same opportunity as Jack, but you know, like follow, like whatever you should do, be true to yourself and know that if you're not following your passion and your job right now, that just keep your eyes open. I think though, too, you know, keep your eyes open to it, but yeah, you can't just like, I don't know who it was. There's some, I don't know, one of these guys who gives a lot of advice, you know, somebody famous who was like, <laughs> oh, I know it's somebody from like Andreessen Horowitz. I think one of those guys, it's like, you can't just follow your passion when you're 18, because that means you just be drinking beer and like, you know, watching sports <laughs> all day. And I was like, well, that's a very good point. But at some yeah. point you do have to marry, like, you know, if you want it, the world to be a better place, like what you're doing and spending your time doing all day should also make you money and have some passion. Like it's yeah, possible. Agreed. I think I think it's absolutely possible. But I think what I what I mean by that is that if you haven't found it yet, that that's yeah. okay. Like yeah. be patient with yourself. And yeah. like you said, like maybe follow your curiosity and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. see where that takes you. And maybe that turns into well, you definitely followed your curiosity. So that's yes. great. That's curiosity. I mean I think that's a really great thing for everybody. I mean I look at my kids and they're so curious and ask a thousand questions all day long. And I'm just like God, when did I lose that? <laughs> you didn't, JJ. <laughs> Definitely not. A little. Angelina knows me better than most. So she, <laughs> you're just being nice. Um, thank you so much My for pleasure. taking this time. I so appreciate it. Let's make a plan to see each other in person. I soon. Um, so people want to find you. How do they find you? Um, on the internet, you can just Google Anjali Kumar and that should pull me up, but yeah, Instagram and Twitter at Anjali Kumar. Those are your main, main things. Um, thank you everyone for tuning into this episode of taking care of lady business. I know that you got a lot out of this. I know I always do with Anjali. She makes me smile. So thank you. Let me know what else you guys want to hear about until next time. I'm Jennifer justice.